We believe. So what? What good is belief if it is not applicable to transforming life here and now? The truth is, our faith was never meant to be passive. We're called to have a faith that actually transforms us. So what does it look like to have a faith that builds strength through suffering? A faith that transforms us to be people who live with love in action. A faith that leads to reconciled relationships. A faith that speaks words that heal. A faith that invites us to be people who pray powerfully and experience what only God can do. We don't just want to believe. We want a faith that works. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Yes. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Willow. You have made it. You got up. You got your oatmeal. You drove. You made it here. Good for you. Can we just say that that is a miracle sometimes? Am I right? And you did it. And can we talk about the people that are here? Every week, I got a report, every week we have people that come for the very first time. Do you know how big a deal that is for people to actually come to church for the first time? Can we just say, well done to you guys? Because, like, you don't know what to expect. I mean, let's be honest. You don't know what to expect. You could come and it could be weird. I mean, you don't know. I went to a church at one time for the first time. It was three hours and 11 minutes long. They should put that on the website. They really should. Like pack, pack a lunch, you know, that sort of thing. They took three offerings in the service. I, I didn't understand. Like, did they not get enough on the first one? And then they had to go back. I didn't know. But here's the thing. When you are here for the first time, I know it just takes a little bit of courage to kind of walk through those doors. And if you did that today, I just want to say welcome. We are so glad you're here. And I think you came on an awesome Sunday because... The book of the Bible that we are looking at today is the book of James. It's what we've looked at in this entire series. And this is, um, we think, the very first book written in the New Testament. So it was written about A.D. 40, A.D. 43. And we think that is, out of all the books in the New Testament, the very first one. And it was written to a bunch of people that were coming to faith, that were coming to church for the very first time. So it was like a new book for a bunch of new people, right? So I think this is a great book for you and for all of us to study. We saw in the video, it's, it's like, you believe, so what? And I think that's really kind of what James has gotten at throughout his entire book is, okay, you're going to come, you're going to follow Jesus, uh, you're going to be a Christian, you're going to say a prayer, you're going to get baptized, you know, whatever it is where you kind of, you do that. And then it's like, so what? Like, what difference does that make in your life? And, and so the first week we looked at this concept of suffering. James drew us immediately to this idea that living in this world is difficult. There are hard things that happen. And you remember what he said? He said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. It's, it's like he tries to reframe 
suffering or trials. And, and the way he does it, he says, because it can produce in you good things. And so we think about some of the hard stuff in our life, like college was hard. Working out is hard. You know, raising kids is hard, but we do those things, and through those trials, we grow and good things happen. We think about the hope of heaven, because the truth is, some of the suffering that we do down here on earth, like if we didn't have heaven to look forward to, it'd be really hard to make sense of it. Death of a loved one. How do we, how do we get through that without thinking about this idea or looking forward to this idea that there's going to be some heavenly um, uh, uh, family reunion one day? Right? There's going to be, there's this place beyond this hope of heaven where there are no more tears. There is no more suffering. There are no more locked doors. There are no more wheelchairs. There are no more weapons. Like there's no, like none of that exists. And we have that to look forward to. And do you remember that weekend? Megan was here and she talked about, I loved how she zeroed in on this idea that we, we follow a suffering Savior. That we're literally following Jesus who suffered so that when you go through stuff, you could go, you know what, I'm not alone in this. Because if you're lonely, you could go, you know what, Jesus was lonely. He understands that. You say, well, I was betrayed by my friends. Jesus would say, yeah, me too. Or you would say, you know what, I've got stress. And Jesus would say, yep. And you would say, I get exhausted sometimes. And Jesus would say, absolutely. And so that week one was just, I loved it because it helped me understand and begin to think through suffering. The second week um, was about the Bible and this idea that we don't just want to study the Bible, but we want to put it in action. We don't just want to talk about it, but we want to be about it. So it's not so much, what we do in here is not so much about education or education. It, it is about transformation. It's like, show me the Bible, and then how do I live it out in my life? And then James talks um, uh, addresses an issue that was happening early on in the church. And what was happening is people were coming in and they were trying to participate in church. And the leaders of the church, because they grew up in the culture that they were in, they took the people of wealth and status and they said, well, you get the comfortable seats, you get to go first, you get special treatment, because, well, that's just the culture that we live in. And James is like, yeah, but this is a different kingdom. Like, yeah, that's the way it is in culture. And you have people that are marginalized and you have injustice and you have people, you have all the isms, racism and, 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 and uh, you know, all the isms. And, and James is going, no, we're go it's not going to be like that here. Like, like the, the ground at the foot of the cross, black, white, Republican, Democrat, male, female, Walmart shopper, Target shopper, you know, whatever. The ground at the foot of the cross is level and that's in the first book written in the bible and i'm like leaning in like james yeah i love what you're telling me about my faith i love that i'm signing up for this this is awesome and then last week um i was here and i talked about the power of our words because james just lays in i mean like verses and verses and verses about the power of your words and how you got to tame your tongue because, you know, in Proverbs it says the power of life and death is in the tongue. And there are those of us, probably most of us in this room, that could look back decades in our life and think of words that were spoken to us that either spoke life into us or that kind of destroyed or took life from us. And they've been impacting us ever since. And so we talked about that last week. Man, if you haven't been here, if you missed any of the messages, they're online. So go check it out. But I have just loved 
this series. And by the way, James is five chapters. We're in the fifth one this week. And, and if you haven't like read it for yourself, I just encourage you to take some time even this week. What did it take you, 15, 20 minutes? Just read those five chapters. But I think it is so cool that we, 2,000 years later, have a letter that was written to the early church, a letter written by the half-brother of Jesus himself. That is so cool. And understand this, he started out as a skeptic. Did you know that? So if you're here today and you're going, I don't even know how I feel about Jesus. I don't know if I believe in Jesus. Well, yeah, that was James too. It says in uh, John 7, 5, that even Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him. James didn't believe in Jesus at first. And that's understandable, right? Because like Jesus was his brother. How many of you have brothers? Raise your hand if you have a brother. Yeah. Hey, what would, it, what would your brother have to say to you to convince you that he was the savior of the world? <laughs> right? And so you look at James and you're like, I get it. Not to mention the fact that I'm sure Mary and Joseph every once in a while are like, James, can you be a little bit more like your brother Jesus? You know? Like, oh, he's perfect, mom. Yeah, he is. Okay, he is. But here's what happens. Jesus dies on a cross. James witnesses this. Jesus comes back to life, and that's not a myth or a fairy tale, like it happened, and James saw it, and it changed everything for him. And the rest of his life was dedicated to following Jesus, not just as his brother, but as the Savior of the world. And so then he writes this letter to the early church, and now we're in chapter 5, and it's like he's coming to the end, and he's going, hey, all of that was great, and, and sort of last but definitely not least is this concept of prayer. This idea that you, wherever you are at any moment, have access to the creator of the universe. And that's what James is going to talk about. Now, here's what we know. We know that 90% of people pray regularly. So this is not a foreign concept to most of us in the room. 60% of people report that they pray daily. And 25% of atheists report that they pray which I'm like, I don't know who they're praying to, but it's cool, right? There's just something in us, I think, that, that causes us to want to pray. So we're praying a lot, but how well are we praying? What do we know about prayer? I know for me, I grew up in church. Anybody else kind of grew up in church? You've been doing the church thing for a long time, like the traditional church thing. There's certain prayers that would come up. Uh, see if you're with me on this. Um, people would say like right before a trip or when they find out that you're going somewhere, they'd be like, hey, we're just going to, pay, we're going to pray for travel mercies. Anybody else remember this? Travel mercies, which never made sense to me. Because for me, I'm like, is that, is that because I'm saying, hey, God, I'm getting ready to leave. And I am planning to drive so poorly. <laughs> like, so bad. Like, my horn is going to get a workout. My turn signals, I don't use them. And so I am just praying that the people on the road will give me mercy. Like, what is that about? Well, um, G, uh, James is somebody that is going to help us pray because he's known for prayer. What, what do you mean by that? Well, Hegesippus was a historian during the days of James and that New Testament church. And one of the things that he tells us about James is that James was so constantly in 
the temple praying that he earned the nickname Camel Knees. <laughs> now you say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, if you look at the, the camel, they've got such calluses from kneeling down all the time. And James had developed so many calluses on his knees that people would say they called, started calling him camel knees. This is a guy who has prayed a lot. This is a guy that understands the power of prayer. And this is a guy who gives us eight power-packed verses at the end of his letter that are going to teach us to pray. Sound like a good way to spend the next 10, 15 minutes? Is that good? So let's see what he says. All right, first thing he says is this, pray when you're in trouble. Pray when you're in trouble. He says in James 5, 13, is anyone in trouble? He should pray. Now, uh, what I love about that is that when you look at the Greek word, the connotation there is not like crazy trouble. The idea is like any little troubles that you got going on. Like anything that you've got going on, you, you can pray about. So, if, you know, you got the sniffles, you pray about it. You got a financial issue, you can pray about it. You see flashing red and blue lights in the rearview mirror, you can pray. God, please let that be for someone else, right? You can pray about everything and anything because God cares to listen to your prayers. It says in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. So you can bring anything to God because he is that loving father that's like when you get home from school or whatever, it's just like up in your business going, how was your day? Tell me what's going on. I want to hear everything. Tell me everything that's going on because I love you so much. I care about everything that's going on in your life. And that's an important thing for us to realize and really grapple with because the truth of the matter is there are times where we feel like God is not listening. That maybe God doesn't care. That, that there are times in our life, at least for me, <laughs> where it feels like I'm praying and the prayers are hitting the ceiling and they're not going beyond that. Anybody else? Where it feels like, you know, I'm praying about this, God. It's not like I'm praying for the lottery. <laughs> it's not like I'm praying for some new car. It's, I'm just, I'm praying for like real stuff and, and, and it just doesn't even feel like you're listening. And so it's important for us to understand that God answers every one of our prayers. And I don't know if you take notes, but let me just give this to you because you might need this at some point. Here are four ways that God answers prayer. Four ways that God answers prayer. We talk about this around here. One is this, go. That's a green light. That's what you want. <laughs> That's like, God, I want this. This is how I'm feeling about this. And God's like, absolutely. Bless it. Go. And I love that. Second thing is he'll give you an answer perhaps that is slow. He say, hey, I'm not saying no, I'm just saying not yet. It's this idea of, you know, you're praying, God, sell this house, sell this house. We really want this house to sell. And it's going on and on and on. And you're going, God, I don't understand. But God maybe knows, hey, the market's going to go up. You're going to get more money. Or God might be going, hey, what I really need is for this family that you've never met. They really need, I really need to get them up here to uh, Hoffman Estates. And so I'm going to make sure that your house doesn't sell until they're ready because I need them to move up. And you'll never know about that. But God is saying, hey, it's not a no. It's just not yet because my timing is important. So he'll say go. He'll say slow. Sometimes he says grow. 
Sometimes he's looking at you and looking at me and saying, I want to give this to you. I want this to happen. I'm going to say yes to this, but I want to develop you in the process. Every one of my kids at 8, 9, 10, 12 years old said, Dad, can I, can I move the car? You know, Dad, can I, can I just back the car up in the driveway? Can I you know, get it out of the way of the basketball goal or whatever? We used to live on this little in cul-de-sac. Can I just drive it around in the circle? No. <laughs> No, and it's really a not yet because what I'm saying is, no, you need to grow up a little bit and then you're able to handle the blessing, the responsibility, the yes answer to that prayer. Does that make sense? So you've got go, you've got slow, you've got grow, and then no, which stinks, (laughs) is super hard because like I said, most of the time, you're good people, and you're not being selfish, and, and, and you might even be praying, you know, there's somebody that's sick. I remember my mom was sick, and we're just praying like, God, and then it was suffering, and we're just like, don't let the suffering happen. I don't understand that, and none of it makes any sense, and, 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 and she's a saint, and so I'm praying these prayers, and it's like, no, 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 and then she passes away, and I st- still don't understand that. If I were running the universe, I wouldn't do it that way. Except, this is what Tim Keller says, smart guy, New York church planner. Tim Keller says this, and I thought it was brilliant. He says, God will always answer prayers precisely the way you would want them answered if you knew everything he knew. Think about that. What he's saying is that at some point, because of God's perspective, because who God is, at some point we're going to get to heaven and we're going to look back around because there are some things that like that's the first thing I'm going to do in heaven. It's like look around and be like, God, come here, explain this. (laughs) And God's going to put his arm around me and God's going to say, hey, let me show you what I knew. Let me show you how it all worked out. And he's going to show that to me from this heavenly perspective. And yeah, it takes faith to believe this. It does. But I believe, Romans 8, 28, that God is working all things together for the good of those that love him. And I believe on that day, there are a couple of things in my life that I'm going, oh, and God is going to look, and I'm going to look at those things, and I'm going to go, I see now, and you are good. And it takes a lot of trust to believe that, but that's what being a follower of Jesus is about sometimes, faith. So James gives us these, uh, th- this idea that when we're in trouble, we can pray, and God loves you so much, he will always answer your prayers. And then James goes on and he says, you know what, I, w- I want to talk about praying with other people. He talks about praying with other people. Now, um, when I went to youth group one night uh, as a kid, a teenager, probably 12, 13 years old, uh, I got there a little bit late, and when I got there, they were all circled up in the prayer where you hold hands. Have you done that thing where you hold hands, your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed or whatever? And so they were all doing that, but when I came in, uh, they were like, come on, and they kind of opened up the circle, and I grabbed hands, and I joined them. And the leader, we had a leader uh, who was a, a teacher, um, he was praying, and he was praying, hey, God, you know, show us your presence. Make yourself known. And um, when he said that, 
uh, I began to feel an energy, a pulsating in my hands. Honest to goodness, that's what I felt. And then he started to pray, God, give us more of your power. Give us more of your power. And I'm telling you, it just got more intense and more intense and more intense. And, and it was, you know, and, and at some point, a kid just couldn't hold on anymore. And he let go and it just stopped. And my eyes were as big as saucers. And all the kids started to giggle. Because the, the teacher's a science teacher and he had a static electricity generator <laughs> that he was doing this. And so I prayed uh, uh, that they be stricken with leprosy. Um, and <laughs> no, but this is this huge object lesson where he goes on to say, hey, there is power when we pray together. And it worked because I'll never, ever forget that. Listen to what James says He says, Are you sick? Then call the church leaders together to pray and anoint you with oil in the name of the master. The oil was symbolic. It was also medicinal. And, and they would do that. And you were supposed to bring everybody together um, because you're sick. Now, the connotation there is actually the same word as when Lazarus died, when Dorcas died, when the guy at Bethesda uh, had been there so long and he was just sort of given up hope and he's discouraged and so really it is like when you are seriously in trouble when you are on death's doorstep when you have maybe it's not a physical thing but financially or relationally you are just at the end of your rope and James looks at you and looks at me and says you don't have to do that alone you do not have to go through that season alone that is one of the beauties of church that's why we do this is to support each other i was having lunch with a guy a few months ago and he is pouring out his heart this story of how his wife left and the family just broken and i'm thinking like he's coming to the end of this story and he says and so that's why i praise god and i went what because i wasn't expecting him to say that but he goes on and he says yeah that is why I praise God for the prayers and the support of my small group. He said, I could not have gotten through it. I would not be here today. I would not have survived without those people in my life. And James says, you want powerful prayer, man, get other people involved now that's not always our first instinct because we we sometimes just think prayers is just this personal thing. In fact, when I you know what, when I, when I asked you to imagine James praying in the temple, did you imagine him alone? I, I did. I mean, when I first thought about it, because it just feels like prayer is just this personal thing. And when you do it with other people, it can be, is it awkward or this sort of thing? And I'm just saying, like, lean in and try and get over that. Because when you begin to pray with other people, there's powerful things that happen. James is going to go on. He's going to double down on the power of it. He says this, make this your common practice. He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. James says, I want you whole. I want you healed. And part of the way 
that negative thought patterns are healed, part of the way that addictions are healed, part of the way that uh, 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 your relationships get healed, part of the way that your life gets healed is to begin to share with other people the real stuff that's going on in your life. And there's a support to that and there's an accountability to that. That's why AA is so powerful. Because people bring their stuff and they share it with people. That's why, I mean, honestly, like Weight Watchers is so powerful. Or, or any really accountability. You get a, like a fitness coach or you get a, a business coach. Or you get somebody that you can share the real stuff with. And then they support you and they pray for you. And you say, but I tell you what, I'd have to get really, I'd have to be really close to somebody to share my stuff. And I would say, I get that. But doesn't it work the other way as well? That you get close to people by sharing your stuff? Like transparency leads to trust, which then in an environment of trust, I feel safe to be transparent. And because you're transparent with me and you're vulnerable with me, then I feel safe to be transparent with you. And it's just this powerful circle. So I would just encourage you to think about that. Do you have people in your life that you can pray with, that you can share your stuff with? Okay, James says pray when you're in trouble, pray with other people, and then pray powerfully. Pray powerfully. And you'll see that I put an acrostic up there, P-R-A-Y. That's because this fall, really this whole year, we're rolling out a 10, 11-week discipleship um, um, experience called Rooted, and it's, it's um, just a powerful deal. And one of the things that it does is it teaches you to pray and offers this acrostic, this, this idea that when you pray, it's not just going to be some you know, laundry list of stuff that you want from God. Because the purpose of prayer is not just so that you get what you want. The purpose of prayer is that you connect in relationship with Jesus himself. And so just like it would be so weird for my only connection with my kids to be for them to just come up and say, Dad, can I have this? 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 Honestly, that is kind of the relationship with our kids, isn't it? No, it sort of feels like that sometimes. Anyway, um, but the best relationship involves so many other aspects, and you know what I'm talking about. So uh, they offer this idea of praying this way. The, the P in uh, prayer is the idea of praise. That we would come to God and we would say, God, we thank you for what you've done and we praise you for who you are. We focus for a little while our prayers on who you are and what you've done. And, and what we're doing there is we are reframing our, our, our perspective on life. Like we go through life and sometimes God's in the background. We don't think about it that much. We, we want to get God front and center and we want to really focus on who he is. Because the truth is, without that, sometimes I come into prayer and I'm going, God, I've got this really tough circumstance and I need your help. And in other words, I'm coming to God and I'm going, look how big my problem is. And what I probably should be doing is going, you know, like, hey, God, you know, or like, hey, problem, look how big my God is. Does that make sense? Like, God is so big. He's been so faithful because I've been spending the last five minutes thinking about all the amazing things God's done in my life. And so we start with praise. And then the R is, it's a good churchy word, repent. 
If you don't like that, you could say restore the relationship because that's kind of what it's about. It's this idea of, hey, if we're going to be in connection together and we're going to talk about all sorts of things, if there's anything that's between us, then we need to get that resolved. Now, uh, it might, you might have a perfect family. In my family, sometimes we offend each other. Sometimes there are things that, you know, it, it bothers us about each other. And we have a tendency sometimes, like I think most people, to wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to resolve it, we just kind of ignored it and hope it goes away, and we just walk past it. And some of our kids, they're all teenagers now, uh, some of our kids will at some time just sort of like move past it, and then like a day later be going, hey, can I borrow the car? Can I get some money? Hey, can I get sort of thing? And as the parent, if you've been a parent, you know that your very first thing, because you love to give them good things, but the very first thing that pops in your mind is, dude, you didn't, like remember yesterday when you, and so what needs to happen in our relationship with God is we clear up those things. It's confessing sin, it's getting right with God. Then the A, then that puts us in the place where we can ask, right? We bring our requests to God. Maybe you make a list, maybe you think through the different roles and responsibilities of your life. Like I'm a Christ follower and so I'm going to pray about that and then I'm going to pray about me as a family man and then I'm going to pray about me as a pastor and then I'm going to pray me as a, you know, whatever. And so whatever the roles are in your life, you're a brother, you're a cousin, you're a whatever, maybe that's the way that you organize your requests. But I love the idea of organizing them so that when God answers them and comes through faithfully, you can write that down and almost have a journal of his faithfulness. And so we praise, we repent, we ask, and then we yield. We yield, we slow down, and we understand that prayer is a two-way conversation. And just like I don't want to do all the talking uh, in my relationships uh, with my wife, my family, I don't want to do that with God either. God wants to speak to you. God wants to speak to me. And so I have to slow down enough to say, God, what is it that you want to say to me? And sure enough, there will be times where God will show you your next step with him, the next thing that he wants you to do. And that whole idea of yield is, God, I'm yielding to your will. I think the love languages concept is pretty popular. Most of you, I think, understand that, right? This idea of like there's a love language. Some people like physical touch and then some people it's acts of service, you know, and some people like uh, quality time. Like different people love and express love different ways. I think God's love language is obedience. It's like when he says, trust me on this and then I actually do, I think, I think that scores a lot of points with God. So James says this, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And he's not necessarily talking, it's not just a man, it's persons, there's women involved as well. And it's not even just a righteous man like, oh, that person is perfect, they're holy, like the prayer, like if, you really, if you're really a good person, then you're going to be powerful in your prayers. That's not exactly what he's saying. Um, because righteousness is really defined in Romans 3.22, where it says we are made righteous or right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away 
our sins. So the idea is, what James is really trying to say, if you could like read that in the Greek, the idea is those who have a right relationship with God, their prayers because of that relationship are super powerful. And you can see some amazing things happen in your life when you are in good connection and in good relationship with God. That's why prayer is so important because if you're like me, you want to see God move and do a amazing things in your life we were building our first building and I had this crazy idea um, at at my last church I had this crazy idea we're going to build a community center and not just a church building and so we're going to have sport courts in there and we're going to have a school for the arts we're going to have cafe and all this kind of stuff because I wanted to see the community using the building like seven days a week, and us be engaging seven days a week. I thought that would be amazing. And so I had this vision, and um, someone told me that there was a a foundation that actually gave money to churches when they're building buildings called the Lasco Foundation. And so I I went on the Google, (laughs) and I found this thing, but it was really hard to find. And the website was just this, uh, it was like, really obscure and you the application was like four questions like it was just nothing and then you send it on and it just went and there was like nothing back nobody sent you like hey thanks for the application we'll get back to you in two days or whatever like I sent it on and I didn't hear anything I thought maybe I'd signed up for the Illuminati or something I don't know that goes away and so over the next six months I'm going to design meetings building meetings And the team is telling me, hey, we don't have enough money to build a sport court. You're going to have to cut that. And I'm like, oh, that's the vision. Like that, oh, man, that's really what I want to do. And and they're like, okay, well, you know what? We can can wait a week. When we come back, then we're going to need to make the decision. We come back in a week, and they're like, hey, look at these numbers. As we're putting all this together, we're seeing like, you, we got to make some cuts, Pastor. Like, we got to make this. I'm like, no, I'm praying so hard. I feel like God wants this to happen. I just, ugh, I just really want to see this happen. And so for six months, they're just going on and on and on. And it's, it's really getting down to the wire. And I'm going to have to make some really hard decisions. And I had this idea, hey, what if we create, like, what if the cafe, like, sells coffee? And what if... You know, we put a CrossFit gym in there and, it, you know, we make a little money on that. And what if we support, you know, the School for the Arts and we, do, and we let some of that money pay for those sport courts and the extra stuff? Makes sense. But business, church, I didn't understand how all that worked. So I went to tax my tax person. Okay, stick with me, okay? Went to my tax person. I said, how does this work? Okay, they said, it's above my pay grade. They sent me to a super tax person. So I went to the super tax person who I'd never met before, and I asked them about their stuff, and they said, okay, to figure this out, put all the entities where, you know what, you're going to have to go to a super lawyer. So I went to a super lawyer, which was like downtown Detroit, and the building was huge, and it was like cherry and gold and beautiful, and they, they ushered me into this room, and here I am, like just, I'm, I'm like nobody from nowhere, and I've got my plans for the building, and I'm by myself. And they stick me in this room where they've got this really long conference table, right? And I'm on one end, and then here come these three lawyers, like, like almost military. Like, come in, they stop, they sit down. Their suits are worth more than my car. <laughs> 
And these guys go, look, at, okay, you got 30 minutes. Tell us what you're thinking. And so like for 30 minutes, I roll out my plans and I'm like, here's the thing. Okay, I know it's out of the box, but I feel like if we do this, okay, and I just explained it to them. And you could watch these guys who did not want to take this meeting. You could tell. And they just start, their eyes start opening. They're like, yeah, okay, I get it. And, and like, at the, like right at the end, the one guy in the middle goes, um, I think we're going to be able to, to help you. We'll, you know, you can put us on retainer and we'll help you work through this. Um, and then he looked to his right and his left and he said, hey, why don't you give us the room? And so his two guys leave. And the middle guy looks at me, it's just he and I in the room, and he goes, hey, this has been incredible. And I want you to know, I'm one of three people in the country that sit on the board of a foundation. It's called the Lasco Foundation. You've probably never heard of it. And I was like, holy spirit of God. You know, like, I was like, that is awesome, right? And so long story short, they give us $700,000 to make this thing happen. And all I'm saying, all I'm saying is that the power, the power of prayers of people who are just rightly and trying to be connected to God, God can do, God will do whatever he wants to do. He's limited by nothing and he's good. So connect with him and watch him move in your life. Can I pray for you? God, we love you. Um, I pray that we would move beyond um, anything like a shopping list, God, and we would, we would literally seek to know you. God, that it wouldn't be transactional, it would be relational. And that, God, prayer wouldn't be a duty, but we would be almost thirsty for it, just surviving by time with you. God, rekindle that in us if it's gone out. God, if we're new to it, then teach us. Help us to experience it. And that's my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.